The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. If people think the country is on the wrong track and are upset, it's usually really bad news for the party in power. The Democrats have a very difficult challenge on their hands when it comes to the midterm. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I think there's a lot of pent-up demand for electing a woman, and I think 2022 could be the year of the woman. I see the demand that we have today as the baseline for the future. It means our economy is roaring back. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. As the earth shifts again, thanks to the Federal Reserve leaning into the battle against inflation, you've been hearing about it here on Bloomberg last couple of hours, accelerating the taper and signaling now three interest rate hikes in 2022. We'll discuss what that means for the rest of the Biden economic agenda with Betsy Stevenson of the University of Michigan, former member of the Council of Economic Advisors. The CEOs of the major airlines testifying today in Washington, they're still at it, lawmakers asking what they did with the emergency COVID money that was doled out last year and why there were still widespread cancellations. We'll talk about that later with Dan Katz, former senior advisor at the U.S. Treasury, who questioned this program in a Bloomberg opinion piece Last April, we have the signature panel today, and it's a good thing. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us here on the fastest hour in politics. What a day. We are drinking from the fire hose here. We've got a lot to talk about. It seemed inevitable to many here in Washington and on Wall Street, of course. And well, the Fed chair, Jay Powell, confirmed it today. Problems have been larger and longer lasting than anticipated, exacerbated by waves of the virus. As a result, overall inflation is running well above our 2% longer-run goal and will likely continue to do so well into next year. Jay Powell, recalling now, if you listen to this broadcast, what Senator Joe Manchin said on Monday. Came out of his office, big gaggle of reporters waiting for him when asked about his view of the president's Build Back Better plan. Remember this? Uh, My grandfather used to say, unmanaged debt will make a coward out of the decisions you make. And we're now at 29 trillion, and we'll be pushing on to 30 trillion. And I'm sure that uh, uh, Mr. Powell, uh, with the Feds, uh, they're going to make some decisions pretty soon here. And I'm understanding that he is uh, uh, considering things that we've talked about. Quantitative easing should be uh, reduced uh, or eliminated as quickly as possible. And, Got that. And the interest rate's going to affect all of us if he has to increase that. interest to try to control. You know it's real when lawmakers quote their grandparents. And indeed, Mr. Powell has made some changes. It looks like Senator Manchin can cross his NQE demand off the top of the now famous memo. And look, as you heard from Charlie Pallet, this news moved the markets for the better. But is it moving anything here inside the bubble? Because I'm not done yet. I started by telling you the earth shifted again. It just shifted again in the last five minutes. President Biden just spoke to reporters in Kentucky. As we told you, that's where he is today. Touring areas devastated by the tornadoes earlier this week. And he just added a big old wrinkle to all this. 
President Biden is now offering to delay the agenda to literally set aside his Build Back Better plan if Democratic leaders think they can pass voting rights legislation. There's nothing domestically more important than voting rights. It's the single biggest issue. So you support a pivot this year to doing that? Let's go, Donald. That's it. Okay, move right along. As I read on the terminal from Jenny Leonard, our White House team, Senate Democrats discussing delaying a vote on Build Back Better until next year. Instead, focusing on voting rights legislation. Senator Manchin has refused to commit to supporting the plan, the economic plan, leaving Democrats, as I read here, at least one vote short. Well, that part hasn't changed. So it's a little bit hard to tell where we're going here, everybody. As we head into the great uncertainty together once again. Let's get into it now with Betsy Stevenson. Been looking forward to this conversation. Professor of Economics and Public Policy at the University of Michigan, former member of the Council of Economic Advisors. Betsy, I'm glad you're here. I'm going to just back up a little bit and ask you, did the Fed change the rules today for Build Back Better? Did they underscore the fear of inflation that could challenge this in the long run? Oh, I I don't think so at all. I, I think the Fed did exactly what everybody expected them to do today, which was to speed up the taper. Um, I think, in fact, why you saw such a positive reaction was that the Fed didn't uh, speed the taper up even further. Mm-hmm. It didn't do anything outside of what people expected in terms of leaning more heavily into fighting inflation. A Federal Reserve policy, monetary policy right now, is still incredibly dovish, meaning that they're still actively trying to boost demand to make up for the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And the thing everyone's concerned about is that we have too much demand in the economy right now. Too many people want to buy too few things, and that's pushing prices up. Now, what they said is, okay, we realize we need to do a little bit less, and that's what speed up the papers all about. It means that they're going to, you know, they're going to be trying to, to get out of this accommodative monetary policy faster but you're still looking at really expansionary monetary policy for the full next year. But Betsy, there's reality and perception here in politics, right? And you've got lawmakers like Joe Manchin or the broader Republican narrative here that's been looking for anything to kind of hang the hat on here to underscore the argument that inflation is a problem and more spending will make it worse. Are we not going to hear more of that argument now? Oh, of course we are, because it's the it's the inflation data that came out on Friday. Yes. And you know the reality is economists also understand that that inflation data is going to continue to look bad for some time. If you look at what we saw in November, we saw a slight slowdown in the rate of inflation compared to October. We're going to need to see slowdown even more for quite some time, but overall that's still going to be leading us to seeing that higher annual rate of inflation. Mm-hmm. And we know that there's certain things built in that mean that price rises are going to keep going up for a while. The housing market has been white hot, meaning that prices are going up for houses, and that gets built into the CPI, that measure of inflation, slowly as you start to adjust to the fact that owners of of more expensive houses are now effectively paying more in rent, and as new renters sign new leases where their rents actually go up, So we're going to see higher inflation 
rates, you know, we're not going to jump back down to 2% in December or in January or February. And I think all economists, including the Fed, know that. I think the Fed wants to be communicating quite clearly that price stability is on their mind and that they're being nimble and taking action as necessary. And that's what they signaled by speeding up the taper. But they communicated that well enough that there were no surprises in today's announcement. But as we continue to look at this through the prism of of politics in the Capitol, it's it's a big I told you so for Republicans. Right. And I'd like to just spin this around, Betsy. What does this say about the argument we're hearing from Democrats and specifically from the White House? That the, this reconciliation bill, the Build Back Better, whatever you want to call it, the social spending plan, will in fact lower prices, that it will help to cure inflation. Is that true or false? Well, it's certainly the case that it's not going to do very much to increase inflation. So um, you know, let's get into the nitty gritty of, of what's causing inflation. Inflation happens when demand is outstripping supply. One of the problems we have is workers not returning to work fast enough. And so there's some measures in that Build Back Better plan that are going to put extra money in people's pockets. That could be inflationary, but they're going to do it by encouraging them to go back to work. For example, increasing the earned income tax credit. That encourages people to go to work, so that could expand labor supply. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's going to be paying people at that higher rate. As their wages go up, what are they going to do? Sure. They're going to spend more money. That's the problem. Um, but most of what's in Build Back Better is paid for. So what that means is as they spend money, some extra money is being pulled back from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason why it's not very inflationary. It's also something that's going to be spent out over time, over those 10 years. So I think the thing Manchin's most worried about is something like the child tax credit, putting money into the houses of households of low-income kids, low-income households with kids, and worried that those people can afford food is putting upward pressure on food prices. And, you know, I I just don't think personally that's how we want to fight inflation is making it so that you know kids in low-income households don't get enough to eat. Well, sure, of course. I want to ask you about that. Specifically, that that policy, Betsy, we spent a good chunk of the program on it yesterday. Uh, This is the 15th of December. Here we are. This is the day that the checks go out. They could be the last for a while or permanently, depending on what happens. Listen to Nancy Pelosi today. Today, the 15th of December, would be the last Biden child tax credit check that would go out. Uh, We're hoping that we can have this settled uh, before Christmas because on December 31st, this expires, and uh, so it, it's essential. Uh, what we see in terms of the child tax credit is the, has been used more recently for ch- uh, pre- preparing children for school. There you go. It's been used for food, school, for food, rent. It's rent. Essential. Essentials. In the in the words of the Speaker of the House, Betsy, I'll ask you the same question we've been asking a number of folks: What happens? If there's a lapse in that child tax credit or it goes away altogether, what would be the broader economic impact as we hear politicians argue about it? Well, it's going to plunge millions of kids back into poverty. So it's going to mean that there's not quite enough food for them, that maybe they uh, end up homeless or they end up where a lot of uh, low income families end up you know, living in sort of more temporary accommodation, staying with a, 
a family, another family member or friends of the family. So we've got housing instability. We've got food instability and insecurity. And then this kicks the table over. Come back. Betsy Stevenson, I'm really glad you gave us some time today. I appreciate your answering my questions. Formerly of the Council of Economic Advisors, now professor of economics, public policy, University of Michigan. That sets the table. We assemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour. Our signature panel on Sound On as we try to follow the bouncing ball. And the rules keep changing in Washington. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We're just throwing the scripts up in the air here because that's what they're doing on Capitol Hill, apparently, and at the White House. If you were with us at the start of the hour, we began with breaking news. The president of the United States says he's willing to delay Build Back Better, this social spending plan. Delay it. Sit on it till next year. If Democrats can get a voting rights package done, he said this to reporters while surveying storm damage in Kentucky. And we assemble the panel now with, well, I don't know exactly where it's going to go. That's why we're delighted to have Rick and Jeannie with us. Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Shanzano, Rick Davis. I mean, you just you can't make this stuff up, Jeannie. Did, did we just push this officially into next year and did this combine with the Fed meeting, the delay of the bill suggested by the president? And the words on the increased taper and now interest rate cuts three next year by Fed Chair Jay Powell. Did this just make Build Back Better less likely? It's a head spinning change for the Democrats. I mean, a really amazing reversal. And I think admission that they have realized uh, what we have talked about for some time, Mm -hmm. that Joe Manchin was not going to come along and without him, It wasn't going to pass before Christmas. They simply could not agree on the timing, let alone the bill. And so I think this is a remarkable admission. You know, it was interesting to me to hear the president say he's willing if they get this Voting Rights Act passed. Of course, that's going to be hard enough to pass. But the the reality is he's not willing to do this. He really has no choice at this point. And and that's the, the, the reality of the situation as the talks between him and Joe Manchin have reportedly, you know, sort of ground to a halt. They just can't agree on the timing and what should be included in this bill, and certainly not before Christmas. I just wonder who he's talking to, Rick. Did this just come out uh, in Kentucky because it seemed like the right thing to say? Nancy Pelosi was was clapping back at reporters today who were, you know, in her words, trying to write the postmortem here uh, on on Build Back Better. I wonder how well this has been communicated throughout the ranks, and do you see it slowing this or, in fact, killing this bill? Well, I think the bill uh, was slowed when uh, everybody had to recognize that and that slowed it up because I don't think anybody would uh, necessarily say what Betsy Stevenson said just a while ago, which is this bill pumping you know $1.75 trillion into the economy has got no impact on inflation. Yeah. Who wants to take that risk, even if it's true, uh, if you're a politician? 
they need delayed, to. if not killed, this bill to begin with. And now that the Fed is on top of it and saying, yeah, this is our number one thing, we're going to we're going to work to to beat it back and contain it. Um, I, I think I think that that's the death knell that that you're looking for into the Build Back Better plan. I would say Schumer seat. I'm having a little trouble with, uh, with staying connected to Rick here. I apologize, Rick. Maybe we can shore up the, the line. Uh, but, Jeannie, you know, I, I want to bring you back to Nancy Pelosi here. And I did talk about this as well with Betsy just a couple of moments ago. And that brings us back to our conversation from yesterday with regard to the child tax credit. Very interesting to hear Nancy Pelosi kind of get to the, the same talking points that we heard from Jen Psaki. They're just not going there when asked about a standalone solution. If they can't get the build back better done, the checks went out today. We don't know when the next round will be. Here's Nancy Pelosi. But I don't want to let anybody off the hook on the BBB to say, well, we covered that one thing, so now the pressure is off. I think that that is really important leverage in the discussion on BBB that the children and their families will suffer without that payment. Not everybody gets it on a monthly basis, but those who need it the most do. Uh, and so uh, we're just still optimistic about BBB passing and uh, uh, perhaps even if it were after the first of the year, which I hope it is not, that mm-hmm. it could be retroactive if it's early ah. enough in the first. Year. Ah, OK. So there was a little treat at the end there, Jeannie. It could be retroactive. So the idea is they come back in January. They either pass Build Back Better or they get something else in there, a standalone a child tax credit bill, but I keep hearing, Jeannie, there aren't the votes for it. There don't seem to be the votes for it. And, and you know, this is one of the things that, that Joe Manchin has really been quite concerned about. He has been, you know, uh, something uh, skeptical about some of this. And the reality is Nancy Pelosi remained optimistic, as she said, that this could pass. But it looks like you're going to be looking at the new year. And I would say even there, you have major questions because to the news today, one of the big questions in the new year is going to be, does Joe Manchin feel that this is any less likely to add to the deficit at a time of high inflation? All of those became real big questions. And so until we get answers to those, you know, unless the bill is, you know, drawn down a, a, yeah. a large extent or the pay fors are very, very clear and he's satisfied with those, that's going to remain a big open question. And if they don't have the votes to do this as a standalone, it probably doesn't get done. And to your conversation with Betsy, which was fascinating, the impact on child poverty in this country is going to be dramatic and and housing, food and the like. So the impacts are very, very real to a vulnerable population. We don't have too much time here, Rick, but I'd love to hear you finish your thought and, and, and whether this Build Back Better has ground to a halt what makes us think that voting rights can pass? Well, I, I certainly hope they've talked to Joe Manchin about voting rights because he was a hang up on that Not before. A fan. And it would be yeah. an incredible embarrassment to move to that and still have a problem with Joe Manchin. Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour. We're not done with this yet. But if you saw the CEOs testify today, the airline CEOs, it was a love fest, but only to a point. We'll talk about the future of the airline business and the emergency money they got for COVID next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston. 
Bloomberg 1061. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Transportation briefing on the terminal. Airline CEOs head to Capitol Hill today. They sure did. Executives from Delta, American, Southwest, United testifying before the Senate Commerce Committee on how they used the money, the emergency COVID money. It's supposed to be for payrolls, for labor. So why the shortages and the cancellations? We'll talk about it ahead with Dan Katz, former senior advisor at the U.S. Treasury, who questioned this very program here in a Bloomberg Opinion piece last April. We heard from the airline CEOs today. Doug Parker, CEO of American Airlines, was the first to answer the tough question here. This is Senate Commerce, Science, Transportation. They want to know what happened to the money and why we had the flight disruptions last year. Were you a victim of the cascading cancellations that happened that were frequently blamed on weather? Did you get a refund when you went to cancel or change your reservation? This is all real-life stuff that a lot of people listening have been dealing with. Doug Parker at American Airlines says we don't have a labor problem. We have more pilots per pilot block hour, flight attendants per flight attendant block hour than we've we've had in the past. Uh, In this environment, unfortunately, though, it's difficult to get people to pick up extra extra time uh, is what we're finding. So we which is what we need in that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was the case there. It's largely related to what Ms. Nelson said uh, about um, some of what's going on in the aircraft. Uh, It's related to covid. But we, we just didn't have the we don't have the ability to recover as quickly. Miss Nelson, he's referring to Sarah Nelson, head of the Flight Attendants Association, also testifying in the hearing today, referring to the madness, the air rage, and the fighting over masking and everything else on board the plane. Well, no wonder why not everyone wanted to show up. Couldn't get them to commit to extra hours. It actually starts to make a little bit of sense when you think about this. Half the country doesn't even want to go back to work yet. But as we spin back to the 12th of April on the terminal, we find the Bloomberg Opinion headline, Airlines Don't Need to Be Saved by Taxpayers Again. Dan Katz wrote this column, the first $50 billion government lifeline. He wrote then was critical to steering the economy through the worst of the pandemic and beyond the next $29 billion is more complicated. Dan, welcome. I don't know if you were victim to any of the cascading cancellations that we heard about today, but what do you make of the argument? You give us money. They said it saved 735,000 jobs, but they couldn't get as much out of those workers individually as they could before the pandemic. Was it money well spent? Uh, well, first off, thanks very much, Joe, for having having me on. Uh, really a ple- pleasure to be here with you to talk about um, uh, this uh, this critical issue. You know, in terms of the role of the uh, of the pandemic support that was provided to the aviation industry and the interplay with the disruptions that we heard the CEOs uh, talk about today on Capitol Hill. Um, I think it's really important to differentiate uh, between what was done in 2020 to really save the industry and actions that the airlines have had to take since then. The supply disruptions we see today in the aviation industry uh, are really not that different from what we've seen across many other industries. And they have to do with companies planning for the expected demand that they that they uh, you know were plan 
planned on seeing in the marketplace. So and they didn't so, adjust their routes or schedules fast enough. Is that fair? Yes, it is fair. Much the same that you're seeing disruptions in shipping and disruptions in retailers as the expected demand that they've seen from customers is different than what they plan for because they you know, meeting demand requires lead time. What I'll say about the role that the pandemic assistance played is that you know pandemic assistance in 2020 for the aviation industry really saved the industry and prevented cascading bankruptcies and layoffs of you know essentially the entire aviation uh, workforce. Um, even though we were able to to keep the industry intact and keep all of the employees that wanted to be on on payroll uh, for that period, many employees took voluntary buyouts. Uh, because they concluded, you know, not irrationally, if you were making this decision in, in June 2020, that the airline industry was in it for a tough few years. Right. Uh, and so it made more sense to take the buyout. Um, but what that did is that reduced staffing levels across the industry. And uh, that's that's playing into the staffing shortages that we've seen in the airline industry and across other sectors in the economy because demand came back more quickly than But we heard Doug Parker say that they've got they've got a good balance. They have enough people. This is the, the proper number of people to run an airline. They're just not as productive as they were before the pandemic. Should we not believe him? I I have no reason to to not believe him. You know, I think this is part of the story that you're seeing more broadly across the economy, which is the shifting balance Mm -hmm. uh, of power between employees and employers. Um, And, uh, you know, that that is a good thing, broadly, that employees have more leverage to uh, to make sure they're being compensated fairly. And and in the case of the airline industry, I think you heard that uh, the work has become more challenging in in many respects. And so uh, it is it is not surprising that you see employees uh, seeking to to, uh, sure. to get more compensation for, for the same amount of work uh, that uh, you know they would have done previously. Fascinating to hear uh, the airlines quantify how much this has cost them, by the way, uh, with regard to cancellations, refunds on cancellations. Uh, Doug Parker again at American Airlines. We at American issued $3.2 billion of refunds in 2020, in three quarters of 2020. And our revenues over the last three quarters of 2020 was $7.5 billion. It's like half their revenue uh, here. It's pretty remarkable, Dan. I guess I would ask you uh, straight out, are these airlines well-run or well-run enough to manage a pandemic? Uh, so it, it, it's a great question. And, and as you note, the refund numbers are, are really extraordinary and, and should be put in context uh, of of what of the overall shock that the industry faced in 2020, you know the airline industry coming into the pandemic was uh, performing at record levels. Uh, the companies were uh, well capitalized. Um, they were reporting record profits, record revenue, and in the space of essentially a month, they went from record revenue to not just zero revenue but yeah. negative revenue because all of the refunds that were associated with it. There are no businesses that are built to run uh, on your revenue going to zero. Yeah, lose uh, all your customers in one day. Dan, we're out of time here. Was the money well spent or not? Uh, The the money that... uh, that, uh, The 54. 54 billion. The money that the administration and Congress uh, spent in in March 2020 under the CARES Act was absolutely well spent, I think. All right. We'll be back. This is Bloomberg.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's a madhouse, to quote Mr. Heston. The news that has emerged this hour, this is why we have the fastest hour in politics, Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew, live from Washington, and we do have the signature panel here, Rick and Jeannie, to help us make sense of all of it. If you are just joining us, though, as a screamer at the top, President Biden on the road in Kentucky. He's been there, of course, surveying the devastation left by this string of tornadoes and spoke to reporters as he was walking around looking at this as he's willing to delay his social spending agenda to allow for a vote on a voting rights bill. That's if Democrats think they can do it. So a lot has changed in the last 12 hours and the last hour, uh, for that matter. As we rejoin with the panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Interesting conversation about the airline hearings today. I know both of you guys fly a lot. You actually have a good sense of the way this has gone over the past year. Uh, we heard not only from the CEOs, and I'd like to get your, your sense of this, but also from the aforementioned Sarah Nelson, who heads the Flight Attendance Union. And they're all begging for some cooperation here. This has been a tough a tough ride uh, for this industry. Rick Davis, when you when you hear about this $50 billion going out in, in, in what was this payroll uh, program here to essentially keep the industry afloat, all of these CEOs, American Delta Southwest United, all agreed that it saved the airline industry from ruin. Is this an example of government doing the right thing to help private industry? Yeah, it, it may well be a very important moment because – Unlike uh, others that were hard hit by COVID, uh, the restaurant business, the hotel business, um, uh, the, the airline business is a strategic and important asset to keep flying in America, uh, without which uh, I think our economy would, would unlikely recover as quickly. So, uh, and, and there are many other uses of the airline industry, you know, to get supplies back and forth. And, uh, right. and so Including vaccines. the idea of letting them you know, sort of cut them loose, uh, I think would have been a really detrimental impact, uh, probably a good use of, of of taxpayer dollars. Would you agree with that, Jeannie? I know you're no stranger to the airline business, but a lot of these lawmakers were wondering, why then did we still get cancellations? You heard Dan Katz there asking, why weren't uh, staffing levels at the, at, the, at the levels they should have been? Yeah, and, and I have to say, you know, like so many people, I was personally impacted by that. I know a lot of people were. It's been a really difficult over the last year for people who have had to fly or have chosen to fly. Um, and I think that, you know, part of what we're seeing when we look at the airline industry is really sort of reflective of what we're seeing in a lot of industries. Uh, and, and you were talking to Dan about this. You know, they had a lot of people who work for the industry decide things weren't going to get better in the next year, two, three. So why not take that early buyout. That leads to a shortage of employees, and that makes it very, very difficult for the airline, like other industries, to pivot when demand increases mm -hmm. as it did, you know, following the vaccinations. And so uh, in that way, I think it's, uh, you know, something that 
a once in a century pandemic, a lot of industries really are challenged to try to respond to and address. I agree the spending is critically important. You can't let the airline industry in the United States, you know, go under, certainly. But also, I think there have to be tough questions asked and lessons learned about what could have been done better in the industry and in government, quite frankly, to adjust Mm -hmm. to some of these challenges. Then there's the matter of what can still be done better. And uh, as we heard from the head of the Flight Attendants Union, Sarah Nelson, uh, the issue is air rage. So you've got a situation where flight attendants don't always want to come back to work or certainly volunteer for extra hours because in many cases they're not safe. They're not secure in the air. The, the number of incidents, uh, it's staggering when, when you consider this. Sarah Nelson, who is the head of the union, talked about it today in the hearings that it's not just what's happening on the planes. She's begging the TSA to secure the gates, to secure the airports. We do need more enforcement in the airports because we are not seeing that happen. And it is unclear um, who is responsible for that at TSA and how uh, uh, consistently that is happening. We need to ban to-go alcohol. This is a major issue. And alcohol is being uh, pushed on passengers now, today, more so as we are in the pandemic than before. This started with to-go alcohol because of pandemic serving procedures, Mm -hmm. and they determined that this was a moneymaker, and they are pushing it now in the airports. And that is unacceptable because it is at the expense of our safety. All of this has to do with COVID, the to-go alcohol thing. My God, Rick, you see this happen. You board a plane, and a lot of travelers, likely not business travelers, are drunk before they get on. And then the fighting with the masks and all this stuff is, is what follows. Is this simply a matter of government enforcing rules already on the books, or do we need new ones? You know, I think I don't know enough about what uh, the rules are governing this new to-go alcohol, which really does just like smack of a bad idea. And we're now seeing the effects of it. Um, And I guess a lot of it is just enforcement. You know, after 9-11, I thought every single plane had an air marshal on it. My my little, you know, goal was to actually ID the air marshal on every flight I was (laughs) on. You know, because we were going to, you know, we were going to tackle terrorists in the aisles. I mean, right. you know, the terrorists are now us. I mean, where right. are the air marshals still on these planes? I mean, where did they go? Um, you know, so I, I think the airline and the TSA and, and the broader community within Homeland Security needs to take a look at this kind of, you know, airline rage and, and what's fueling it. And obviously, you know, making alcohol more accessible at a time when everyone's learned to drink more during COVID <laughs> because yeah. there was nothing else to do, oh my God. Uh, is, is probably one of those things that they ought to listen to the, the pilots in the, uh, in the, the stewards unions because they, they, it makes a lot of sense what the arguments are that they're making. I don't know about to-go alcohol here, Jeannie, if that's to stay, but we have to figure out this problem. As far as air marshals, great question here because, yeah, all you have to do is go on Twitter, go on TikTok, and pick your fight. This is like prize fighting at 30,000 feet, Jeannie. It, it is. And, you know, listening to the to the, uh, the the head of that union talk about what they're dealing with, it's like we're asking these people to play so many roles, including policing people who are under the influence. And I have to tell you, this to-go alcohol is new to me, so I am learning a lot. <laughs> I, I do fly. Now. I had no idea it was so much more accessible. <laughs> I guess I haven't been indulging in it before flights, but, you know, you hear about this. And, you know, it, it's it's a very difficult time. And, and, you know, again, how do you attract people to this important profession if this is what they're being asked to handle? And how do you retain employees who are being asked to serve in all of these roles and potentially put themselves in danger?
Matt Shirley, our producer, asking, would it be safer for the airlines if they brought back smoking? Uh, that Obviously, that's a joke. Well, there, it recalls the, the all-smokers airline they tried to start overseas. Even that didn't work. But no, I'm not sure that that's the problem here. But, when you know, there's a lot of news about COVID today uh, that I, I also would be remiss if I didn't mention Apple. To think about an indefinite time spent working from home, uh, this all comes back together in the same story when we're talking about the flight attendants. A major corporation, a near $3 trillion corporation, Rick Davis, like that, deciding to keep everyone home indefinitely or those who choose to, what does that mean for worker productivity? Well, I mean, uh, obviously, with the roaring economy, worker productivity has contributed to some of that. And so I think there's a confidence level that, uh, that, that, that these big companies with tens of thousands of employees, hundreds of thousands in some cases, can manage through. But um, there's not a single CEO I know who actually doesn't think they want people back. And the right. sooner they can do it, the better their companies will be. So, you know, the emergence of Omicron and, and, and what it's doing to everybody's healthcare systems makes everybody do a check in the system and say, maybe it's too early. Let's, you know, kick the can. But it just seems like we were just here a year ago having yes. exactly the same conversation. Well, so let's talk about that. I mean, I, we only have a couple of minutes left. But this President Biden has said no shutdowns. We're going to deal with uh, Omicron or whether it's Delta, whatever is prevailing over the course of the winter. And we're seeing surging cases, surging hospitalizations. He said there won't be shutdowns, there won't be mandates to close businesses and so forth. But Jeannie, we're already seeing it on the local level in a lot of places. Is that is that going to be the story of the new year? I think it is. I'm in New York State. The governor has declared an indoor mask mandate. I was around the state over the weekend. I have to tell you, many people very, very confused. Many didn't even have any idea whether they were supposed to be wearing them or not. You look at the latest polling out from Monmouth and others showing a real frustration on Americans who are exacerbated by the way political leaders have handled the pandemic at the local, state, and federal level. They are tired. And when I'm hearing this news about Apple, you know, it, it, understandably, it makes sense, but I just think it reinforces this idea that you and Rick were just talking about, that this thing is far from over. And whereas Joe Biden said he was going to be able to wrap this up and move us forward into a better new world, that's why his poll numbers remain sort of trapped in the mid-40s at this point, and that's a bad sign for Democrats going into the midterm. Pretty remarkable moment we're having right here. I want to point everyone to, certainly if you're not with me here in the nation's capital, the National Cathedral will toll the Borden Bell, as it's called, and is tolling now 800 times today. It's happening this hour. Once for every 1,000 American COVID deaths. Yes, 800,000. Pretty remarkable moment here as we listen to this. This is coming from up the street in northwest Washington. The cathedral saying while visiting our grounds, please remember that masks and social distancing are required. There will be no access, it says, inside of the cathedral, but people are lined up there along Wisconsin Avenue listening to 800 bells tolled at our National Cathedral on this 15th of December. For Rick and Jeannie, I'm Joe Matthew. I thank you for spending time with us on the fastest hour in politics. Back tomorrow, this is Bloomberg. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.